listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Seven Years in Denver by Lola Be Good on Gossamer. Dana Scully rounded the corner of the young adult section at Barnes & Noble, looking for an age-appropriate book for her bright seven-year-old son. His birthday had just happened, and she shouldn't be buying him anything else, but she never thought of books as spoiling a child. He was an avid reader, but found the first readers designed for his age group a joke, but the reading material that suited his ability tended to be for teenagers. Sex scenes and many other things that a seven-year-old should not be reading. As much as his ability was beyond his years, his psyche was still that of a seven-year-old, and he had nightmares. She glanced at her watch. She had fifteen minutes before she was due back at the conference she was attending across the street. She turned over yet another novel to read the back. At this rate, she would have read more back covers than the actual pages in any novel she would be choosing for him. Excuse me, a familiar voice said as he brushed past her. Scully's heart stopped for a moment, and her eyes looked up to see a tall, lanky frame that she knew very well saunter down the aisle. Her voice caught in her throat as her mind told her to stop making these stupid scenes. She had called out his name in grocery stores, on streets, in parks, in airports over the years, and all of those times had been horribly disappointed. She hadn't made a scene like that in about two years. Still, there was something about his voice, something unmistakable. She dropped the book on the shelf and followed the man to the register. Two people stood between them, and she had a hard time seeing him under the cowboy hat. He shifted awkwardly in his spot as the line inched forward. That's supposed to be a good one, the older lady behind him said, as she pointed to the book in his hand. She's always reading stuff by her, and this one just came out, so... he muttered. That's thoughtful, the older lady said, as she smiled up at him. The man turned his head a little more towards her, and Scully could see his eyes. Mulder, she muttered, under her breath. Have a good day, ma'am, the man said. Scully's heart raced in her chest. She began to instantly sweat. Mulder, she yelled loudly. Everyone in the line turned to look at her, the woman screaming at the end of the line. He turned as well, and it was him. It was Mulder. No one showed any sign of recognition when they looked at her. Not even him. Mulder, she said more softly as she took a step towards him, then another and another. He looked at her confused. I'm sorry? It's you, she said, as tears welled in her eyes, and she grabbed his free hand. I'm sorry, ma'am, but you must be mistaken, he said kindly as he pulled back his hand. Mulder, I... She started as words failed her. Next, the clerk called. The man turned from Scully and placed his book on the counter. It was the latest Marion Keyes novel, obviously not for him. Fox Mulder? she asked, as she touched his back, not sure what exactly had just transpired between them. I'm sorry, ma'am, but you have me confused with someone else, he said, as he handed the cashier some bills. You're Fox Mulder, she said conclusively. I'm Leo Gray. Nice to meet you, he smiled at her placating her insanity. Here's your change, sir, the cashier said as she eyed Scully. Thank you, ma'am, he said with a smile as he grabbed the book to leave. Mulder, 
she said softly, hardly believing what was happening in front of her. She reached to hold his arm. I'm sorry, ma'am, he said softly as he pulled away, but I'm not him. He walked out of the store and the bells jingled in the door. She stood speechless as she watched the man she loved walk down the street. Leo, thank you, Amy exclaimed as she grasped the book in her hands. I heard it just came out. I was in town for that appointment and... He started. What did they say? She asked, concerned as she tucked her long, chestnut-brown hair behind her ear. The need to send me for more tests, he said, trying to drop the subject. I wish you would have let me go with you, she said, as she touched his chest. There's no need for both of us to take the day off, he said, as he looked lovingly at her. Besides, if I have to have brain surgery, you'll lose enough time while you take care of Frankenstein. Stop it! she snapped at him. I hate it when you do that. She's obviously upset by his joke. I'm sorry, he apologized sincerely. He leaned down and kissed her softly on the lips and put his arms around her. She relaxed slightly into his embrace. I'm really, really sorry, he murmured as his hands warmed up her body. I don't think that's the sorry that I'm feeling, she mumbled back as a smile spread across her face. No, that's something else entirely he said softly, as he took her earlobe between his lips. You need to stop with the Frankenstein jokes, she said, as she tilted her head back and he moved on to kissing her neck. It's actually inaccurate, because Frankenstein was the mad scientist. The creation was just referred to as the creature, or the monster, he said, as he started to lift up her shirt. You romantic, she said, as she reached for the button on his jeans. He broke contact long enough for her shirt to be lifted over her head and unsnapped her bra with a certainty that can only come with a lot of practice. You taste good, he mumbled as he worked her skirt down her legs, kissing her torso as he did. She smiled at his words and pushed his boxers down over his buttocks. And you feel good. She ran her hands over his hard ass and around to his front where she grabbed his pulsating cock and started to pleasure him. He got a flash of a room filled with people in suits listening to him as he gave them instructions. There were pictures of a man and body parts behind him on a board. His last words were something about catching this guy. His hands and lips stilled suddenly while he shook the image from his mind. Leo? she asked, her face turning to look at him. Sorry, he apologized. You had another one, didn't you? she asked, concerned. I'm fine, he said softly. I'm fine. Leo, I... Amy, I need this, he said softly, as he yanked her hips forcefully towards his body. She pursed her lips and nodded. Her hands started to work his cock again. He leaned over her small frame and took in the pleasure of the moment. He pulled her against him, and they toddled together toward the bedroom a few steps away. Leo laughed as they fell together onto the bed, her body smacking against his as they landed. Sorry about that, he laughed as he rubbed her back. I love you, she smiled wistfully at him. I love you too, he said softly as he lifted his head to kiss her. She pulled her legs up against his sides and crawled into position on top of him. He smiled when he was fully inside her and bucked his hips to join her in the rhythm he was so familiar with. She moaned his name and he ran his hands along her naked body. Her breasts were still soft and perked, and her hips knew just the right way to move, so it drove him crazy. He watched her beautiful form above him 
as she moved around him and he inside her. He sat up slightly and captured a nipple in his mouth, sucking hard and causing her head to fall back and a moan to escape her mouth. She picked up the pace and gyrated forcefully against him until he turned the tables and flipped her onto her back. She laughed at the act, and they scrambled to get him back inside her as quickly as possible so they could continue their forward motion to ecstasy. He pumped into her time and time again as her face contorted and her vagina spasmed around him he released himself into her wet walls. You're beautiful, he sighed, as he looked down at her post-orgasmic face. And you are one handsome stud, she smiled up at him, relishing in the afterglow. He moved off her small frame and lay down next to her on their bed. He pulled her tightly against him and fell asleep with her resting in his arms. Across the street, Dana Scully sat inside her car and let tears run down her face as she watched the shadows move inside. Leo Gray works for Clarington Wind Farm based just outside Keystone, Colorado, Byers informed her on the other side of the phone line. He lives in Keystone because I'm sitting outside of his place right now, Scully said, as she massaged her forehead. The light in his bedroom had gone out an hour ago. She tried not to think about what had happened inside. He's their operations manager, Byers continued to read. He's been with the company for... For what? she asked, anxious. For seven years, Byers said sadly. Shit, she muttered into the phone. The phone crackled and she could hear Langley's voice in her ear. What if he's a super soldier? You know, someone trying to impersonate Mulder? I wouldn't know until I could take some blood, examine his neck, but... But you think it's him, Langley finished for her. I know it's him, she said definitively. I just need to figure out why he doesn't know it. You sure he wasn't, you know, faking not knowing you? Langley asked cautiously. No, he's not that good an actor, she said as she looked over at the small house again. He seems settled here. She was met with silence on the other end. What else do you have? He has just over 17000 in his bank account, a retirement investment of just under $76,000, and stock options worth about 260000 in Clarington Wind Power his employer. He bought a house on Granite Lane in Keystone almost six years ago. He owns a small fishing cabin in the Blue River Inlet near Cataract Lake. He has a library card, a visa with no balance owing, a driver's license that looks exactly like Mulder, and he's a member of the local gun club and holds both a gun and a fishing license. That's it? she asked, astounded by the lack of information. Uh, his driver's license has his birthday wrong. Frohickey interjected. He was born in October 1961, right? Yes, she answered. He thinks he was born in August 1964, Frohickey explained. So he thinks he's three years younger than he really is? she asked. Basically, Frohickey said. Any applications to the county clerk? she asked. You mean for a marriage license? Frohickey asked. Uh, yeah, Scully stumbled over the words. No, Frohickey explained. He's still listed as single. Not so single, she thought to herself. Why, did you see a woman? Byers asked, anxious. Yeah, she said quickly, not wanting to invite further speculation. Silence greeted her again. Ah, uh, Scully, give us a few hours and we'll get you some more 411. Langley broke the silence. How long are you in Denver? Byers asked. As long as it takes, she said before disconnecting the phone. Leo, 
Amy said as she walked into the kitchen that morning. There's a woman asleep in a car across the street. What? he asked as he poured a cup of coffee. Across the street, she said as she pointed to the blue sedan. His brow furrowed when he saw who it was. She's from the bookstore in Denver, he said as he took a sip. What? she asked alarmed. She thought I was someone. Muller, I think. I told her she had the wrong person, but she was insistent. And she followed you home? Amy asked, her alarm growing. It appears so, he said, not sure how to take it. Something about what this woman had said to him bothered him to his very core. We should call the police, she insisted. Who knows what kind of... She seemed harmless enough, he said, as he poured a cup of coffee in a travel mug. What are you doing? Amy asked. I'm going to wake her up and send her on her way, he explained, as he walked toward their door. Leo, you shouldn't go out. She's harmless, he said, as he shut the door behind him. He walked down the stone driveway and waited for a car to pass before crossing the street. The traffic in Keystone was considerably less when ski season was done, but the town didn't shut down completely. The local resorts still made a killing with wholesome family vacations in the summertime. Amy worked for Tilling's Resort and Spa year-round in their office doing accounting. As he approached the car, he was suddenly struck by another image. An older man chewing him out about something and telling him that he needed to be reined in. He stood immobile in the middle of the road while he tried to make sense of the image. A car honked at him and startled him awake. He waved an apology and took a few steps toward the car before him. The horn had obviously woken her up as well. She sat wide-eyed and staring at him. He rapped on her window, and she got out of the car. She seemed embarrassed that she had been caught. She was a very short, petite woman with long, strawberry-blonde hair. Thought you might need this, he said, as he handed her the travel mug. It's black. She looked at him dumbfounded. Mulder would have known she took cream and sugar in her coffee. I know you think I'm someone else, but I'm not. We haven't ever met until yesterday, he explained and you're creeping out my girlfriend. He gestured toward the house, and Scully saw a tall woman with long, dark brown hair watching them intently from a window. I'm... I'm sorry, she thought to say, when all other words escaped her. He was Mulder. Older, tan, fit, and all Mulder. The way his eyes crinkled when he said certain things was the same. The stance he took when he stood across from her was familiar. The way he said his words had the same cadence. I'm Dana Scully, she said, as she jutted her hand out in his direction. There was no hint of recognition. Nice to meet you, Dana, he said, as he shook her hand. You can keep the travel mug, but you better get on your way. Uh, I... He took a step away from her and turned his back, headed toward the house where the woman was waiting. He hoped she would just leave because somehow, he sensed if she stayed, something monumental was about to change. Thank you she croaked out as he got to the other side of the street. Don't mention it, he yelled as he turned to wave goodbye to her. She swallowed hard and willed herself to keep from crying. She leaned over the mug and took a sip from it. The liquid was the one pleasant thing that had happened to her since yesterday. She watched him go inside his house, and the woman who was at the window disappeared from her sight. Scully opened up her driver's side door, got inside, and drove away defeated. She had to find out more information before she approached him again. She checked her cell. There were four messages from someone she didn't want to speak to.
Hi, it's me. Sorry it's taking me so long to call back, but I sort of got caught up in the conference. I thought I wouldn't stay for the full thing, but some of the guest speakers are really interesting, and I thought, seeing as I was already out here? Anyways, Mom is keeping well for a few more days, and I'll see you when I get back. She paused. I love you. She hung up her cell phone and packed it away in her purse. She had called his office knowing he was in court all morning, knowing he'd get the message when he got in and would stop worrying about her. She had lied to him for the first time in their relationship, and she felt horrible. She couldn't tell him this. After everything that they had been through as a couple, she just couldn't tell him this. Dana Scully lay back on her bed and thought of the ramifications of this discovery. Mulder was alive, living outside of Denver, and he had no recollection of her or the work they once did together. He didn't remember what they meant to each other. He didn't know that they had a child together. He had been happily living here for seven years, working, falling in love, living a life without her. She had spent the better part of seven years trying to find him and get over him at the same time. She had finally achieved both goals simultaneously. Life was never fair. She was in a relationship now, one that made her happy, one that fulfilled her. Will liked him, and they had become a family. The wedding was in less than two months. Her cell phone sprang to life in her purse, and she lunged for it, hoping it wasn't the man she just lied to. Funny, she thought, as she looked at the unfamiliar numbers. Not two days ago, she had always wished it was him when her phone rang. Hello? she asked, unsure of who was on the other side of the line. Hello? It's secure, she heard Frohickey's voice say. Frohickey? she asked. Hi, Scully, he said finally. Sorry. We needed to secure the line for this one. Scramble some numbers. Why? she asked, instantly intrigued. We found out some intel. Some stuff that we thought you should know, he said cryptically. So spill, she said, impatient as she crossed her legs on her bed. Leo Gray has a perfect record, he started. Too perfect. How so? He was orphaned at a young age and grew up in foster care. All of the people that he lived with were retirees and are now long dead. He didn't ever share a group home with another child, and... Here's the rub. He only went to schools that have long been closed due to budget cuts. He went to college, and although his records are there, he is not photographed as part of his graduating class monograph. In fact, all of the teachers listed on his transcripts are either dead or non-existent, and we scoured the records of people in the same civil engineering program as him and found none of them shared his professors. So either he was a class of one, or, she began, or someone has gone to a lot of trouble to make his false records look very complete to the untrained eye, Byers finished. It was then that she realized she was on speakerphone. So when do real records start to appear? She asked, interested. Around April 2001, Byers said. In April 2001, he got a job with Clarington Wind Power based on some work experience in Australia with Talisman Energy, which has since folded. So he was hired as their operations manager? Scully asked as she rubbed her temples. Yeah, Langley explained. He basically runs the entire operation and reports directly to the CEO of the company. He makes 185000 a year plus stock options. It's a sweet gig. And did you find out anything about the woman he's involved with? She asked uncomfortably. Scully, Frohickey paused. We don't know her name, 
but there are some charges on his visa for dinners, vacations that have two tickets, women's clothing, a spa. Scully's head fell onto her chest. He was a good boyfriend, it seemed. She's not listed on any bills that come to the house, or... Wait, he paused, and she heard a computer beep in the background. She's listed as his emergency contact on his work record. Her name is Amy Richards, and let's search the number. Scully licked her upper lip as she waited. The number is aligned to Tillings Resort and Spa in Keystone. Let's look up their employee records, Brolicky explained. Scully bit at her lower lip. Amy worked at the local fancy resort. She works in their office as a bookkeeper. She's worked for them for almost ten years. Hold on a second while Byers pulls up her... Amy Richards, Byers' voice piped up. She was born in Denver, attended the local community college, and her address on her employee file was listed as the resorts until six years ago. She turns 40 in a couple of weeks, and... And she's a widow. A widow? Scully asked, surprised. Has been for ten years, Langley explained. The date of her husband's death. Let me see what's in the local papers. She has one sister who lives in Denver, and her parents still live at the same address from when she was a child, Byers went on to explain. She worked in Denver as a bookkeeper for an ad agency before moving to Keystone. She's five feet and eight inches tall, brown hair, brown eyes, 120 pounds, Brohickey interjected. Got it, Langley exclaimed. She was in a car accident with her husband. He was pronounced at the scene. She was in critical condition. She was also pregnant and lost their baby. Oh, Scully swallowed hard. It was some kids going for a joyride. They lost control of the car on an icy patch of road and... Langley read further. And she lost her whole family in one day, Scully finished for them. Yeah, Frohickey said sadly. She has a MasterCard with a few minor charges. She makes 36000 a year. She belongs to the local price club. She has a cell phone under her name. That's about it. She came to Keystone for a fresh start, Scully thought out loud. It looks like that, Brohickey said. She took the job at Tillings six months after the accident. Thanks, guys, Scully said sadly. Part of her had hoped there was something they had found out about the woman to show she was part of the conspiracy against Mulder. But she did truly appear to be someone real in his life. Anything else you need? they asked. We could come out there and... Right now, I just need to think, she said softly. I'll let you know, okay? No problem, Byers said softly. You take care of yourself, Brohickey said gently. Get him tested to make sure he's not bleeding green, Langley cautioned. I will, she said softly before she hung up the phone. She sat staring at the phone for quite some time before she suddenly picked it up and chucked it as hard as she could across the room. The cord snapped, and it slammed against the wall. God damn it! she yelled before she burst into tears. It was supposed to be up and running yesterday, Leo said to the man who had just walked into his office. I know, but the crew, Max said. The crew needs to get its ass in gear if it wants to get paid for any work, Leo said with conviction. They knew this was coming. Why were the parts... The paperwork was misfiled, Max explained. Leo, you know it can happen, and... I know. It's just, I got Misty River paper breathing down my back, he explained. They have a whole ad campaign ready to launch about how they have gone green, and they can't legally say that until... I know. Give us a couple more days, Max said. 
I'll hold them off, Leo said with a sigh. Are they trying to fix their public image since... Since their CEO was caught with his hands down his pants in a park? Yeah, Leo snickered. Although I think that going green will just remind people that he was in a park jerking off. But what do I know? Max laughed at his joke. You and Amy still on for tonight? We wouldn't miss Leo's guacamole for anything, he smiled at his friend. But Max, you're the project manager and you better get those guys. I know, I know, he said as he shuffled his feet. You are in charge now, and you can't let them walk all over you, Leo explained. Max gave him a tight-lipped smile and walked out of his office. Suddenly, Leo was hit with another flash image. He was looking at slides, images of odd creatures and disfigured human beings. He felt his glasses pinch his nose. Leo shook his head. The only time he wore glasses was when he put sunglasses on, but Amy had been insistent that he should get his eyes checked. She said he was starting to read like an old man holding papers far away from his face. He had said he would make an appointment. He hadn't yet. He needed to find out why he was getting these odd and seemingly unconnected images in his head. The early images came in dreams. A little girl with pigtails, he teased. A man speaking to him about responsibility as a drink sloshed in his hand. Playing basketball as a crowd cheered. Having sex with a girl in the back of a car. The most recent ones came to him during his day sitting in a large lecture hall, listening to a professor drone on, doing some kind of boot camp activity, kissing his way down a woman's body, eating nachos with three strange-looking men, walking into a room with blood all over the floor and walls, masturbating as porn played in front of him on an old TV. Leo looked at the paperwork in front of him and sighed. He was restless today. He couldn't sit in his chair for one minute more. He needed to get outside. The North Field needs to be checked, he said to himself. He got up out of his chair and grabbed his hat, placing it casually on his head. Amy had given him the cowboy hat years ago as a present, and every time he wore it, he thought of her. He wore it every day. Amy was quite upset about the woman this morning. There was almost something desperate about her. He felt more sorry for her than scared of her. Amy thought they should still call the police, even after she left. Leo convinced her otherwise. He walked out of his office. Tina, I'll be in the North Field. If anyone needs me, tell them to call me on my cell, Leo said to his secretary. Leo, you know the cell phone reception in the North Field is dodgy, Tina said back. Is it? He asked with a mischievous grin. She laughed at his playful nature. Will you be back by lunchtime? Probably after, he said with the tip of his hat as he left her desk. Leo sauntered out of the office and toward his pickup truck. Leo! Scully yelled from inside her car. He turned to look at the mysterious woman and cringed. She was not giving up easily. Miss... Scully. Dana Scully, she said as she got out of her car. Miss Scully, I think that I have made myself clear, he said with conviction. Now, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to have to follow the advice of my girlfriend and call the police. I am the police, she said as she pulled out her FBI badge. You get that at a dollar store? He asked with a snicker. Please call information and ask for the local field office, she said, as she handed him her cell phone. They'll confirm my credentials. He looked at her extended hand and his mouth fell open. What? What does the FBI want with me? That's what I'd like to talk with you about, she said with a sigh. I know I've seemed off, but... He nodded his head, still trying to process the information. 
For that, I'm sorry, she said. I didn't mean to alarm you, but... Let me make a call, he said, as he took out his cell phone and walked away from her. She stood and shifted her feet. She heard him ask for the local FBI field office. He looked over at her as information was relayed. He asked for her badge and confirmed the identification numbers. Why is she in Denver if she works? he asked. He looked over at her and assessed her appearance. He walked toward her and looked at her eyes. Blue? She nodded in agreement. Thanks, he sighed, before he snapped his phone shut. Nice to meet you, Special Agent Dana Scully, Quantico instructor, he said as he extended his hand. Nice to meet you, Leo Gray, she said as she shook his hand. The touch of his skin against hers sent an electric jolt through her body. He smiled down at her, and she wanted to grab him and pull him into a fierce hug. Instead, she shook his hand and then let go. Do you want to go to my office to talk, or... Where were you going? she asked, still resisting the urge to grab him. I... I was just going out to check the north field, and... Why didn't I go with you? she asked. It's a thirty-minute drive there, he cautioned. I'm good, she said as she walked toward his truck. He nodded and walked to the driver's side door. They both got inside, and he started the engine. So when are you going to tell me why you're hunting me down? he asked as they bumped along the dirt road. I'm not actually hunting you down. I bumped into you by accident, remember? And since then, you have been stalking me, he reminded her. Touché, she said as she looked out her window. Does this have something to do with that Muller person you think I am? He asked. She swallowed hard and continued to look out the window. Yeah, it has something to do with him. They drove the rest of the way to the north field in silence. He kept on stealing glances at her, but she didn't look over at him once. Leo thought that maybe his overactive imagination was making the situation into more than it actually was. She seemed terribly sad, and he hoped that taking her out to the north field wasn't a mistake because it was going to be a long time they were together. They bumped along to a stop, and the dust flew up around the truck. Does he know you're going on long drives with strange men? He asked as he nodded toward her engagement ring. Uh, no, she stammered. I... I need you to take a blood test. Excuse me? He asked, astonished. Take a look, she said, as she pulled Mulder's ID out of her wallet. That's... that's you. He looked at the old, worn picture, the one she had been carrying with her for almost eight years. He looks like me, Leo agreed, as he studied the picture. He is you, she explained. So you think I'm an FBI agent? He laughed uneasily, the memory of him making a presentation about catching someone becoming all too clear. What, am I in witness protection too? What? she asked. You're Fox Mulder. You disappeared almost eight years ago, and the FBI has been searching for you ever since. I'm sorry, but I'm Leo, not some guy named Fox, he said, as he swiftly handed her back the photo ID. They both got out of the truck. If you would agree to some blood work, we could clear up... Blood work. You want me to do blood work to prove to you that I'm me? He asked, flabbergasted, not wanting to tempt fate. You are you, she said, as she walked toward him. You're Fox Mulder, my partner. You're a profiler with the FBI. You were in charge of the X-Files. The X-Files. The what? He asked, as other images he'd had in the last few months clicked through his head in a random pattern. Your life's work, she said. We were... we were... 
We were what? he asked with a raised eyebrow. We were friends, she sighed as she turned away from him. I don't know what to say, he said, feeling sorry for her. I'll do the blood work if it'll settle all of this. You will? she asked as she remained turned from him. I will, he said softly, as he looked into the sun, knowing somehow that he had made the wrong decision when he agreed to this. She breathed a sigh of relief. I've got to do a walk around and check the turbines, he said, trying to change the subject. I'll... I'll go with you, she said as she turned to face him. They walked side by side around the field as he checked out each turbine. So you've been here in Keystone for... Seven years, he said as they walked. And before that? Before that, I lived in Perth, Australia, he said with authority. And what do you remember about that? She asked. I feel like I'm being quizzed about my life, he said upset. Humor me, she said with a small smile. I remember the dry heat. I remember my housemate, Amos, who liked to walk around naked a little too often. Amos? Scully asked. Do you want me to write it all down so you can fact check? He asked sourly. I'm sorry, she said truthfully. I remember everything, Agent Scully. I remember the girl who taught me to surf and her calling me an asshole as she drove away after a not-so-nice comment I made the next morning. I remember feeling like such a prick. She held her forehead. I am sorry, but I'm really not him, he said honestly, wanting to truly believe it. But it seems to me that he's very important to you. She pursed her lips and nodded, unable to truly speak. They walked for a while in silence as he checked each turbine. You seem happy, she said softly. I, I am, he said with a small smile. You like your work? she asked. It's a pain in the ass some days, but, but it's what I've always wanted to do. And you get to live in a place as beautiful as this, she said, as she looked around. Yeah, that's a nice part of the deal, too, he said, as he looked around with her. And you're in a relationship? she asked. Amy? he asked. Yeah, we live together. Not married? she asked. No, he said with a shake of his head. Don't want to? She continued forward, despite the churning in her stomach. We're happy as we are, he explained. No, no children? she asked. No, he said softly. She sensed he was holding something back. You want them? she asked. I think Amy and I are good as we are, he said. She swallowed hard. She followed him as he walked back toward the truck. What about you, Agent Scully? When are you getting married? He asked as they opened their doors. In a few weeks, she explained. On July 5th. On the long weekend. How patriotic, he noted, as he started the truck. You mind me asking what an FBI Academy instructor was doing with a partner? I haven't always worked at that academy, she explained as they bumped down the road. I started working there about eight years ago. Around the time your partner went missing? he asked. Yeah, after that, she explained. You stopped the search? he asked. No, I was always searching, following leads. Always, she said sternly. But I had to leave the field for other reasons. Losing a partner gets you kicked out of the field? he asked, trying to turn the tables on her. No, I had personal reasons that brought me to the academy, she explained. You have any kids? he asked. What? Why do you ask that? she snapped at him. You, you asked me, so I thought, he stammered, shocked by her harsh words. 
Sorry, she apologized. I'm a little on edge. He noted that she had not actually answered the question. No problem, he said quietly, as his foot went down a little more on the gas. He wanted this interview to end as quickly as possible. They traveled in silence for the rest of the journey. As they pulled back into the parking lot, she turned to look at him with tears in her eyes. I never stopped looking for him, she mumbled. He was more than just a partner, wasn't he? Leo asked. She swallowed hard and got out of the car, not answering his question. He watched her straighten her coat, square her shoulders, and stand as tall as her frame would allow. When are you finished for the day? She asked, all business. I'll be done about five, he answered, surprised by her change in demeanor. Will you meet me at the Blue Ridge Clinic so we can draw the sample? I'll be there with bells on, he said, as he tipped his hat towards her. He wanted this crazy situation that was right out of a movie cleared up as soon as possible. It was just a coincidence that who she thought he was seemed to have something to do with the flash images he kept getting. It had to be. He watched her walk to her car and drive off. Agent Dana Scully was proving to be a force to be reckoned with. She walked purposefully toward the clinic at the end of the day. She had spent most of the day finding out more information about Mulder's new life. The more she found out, the more she questioned whether him knowing the truth was a good or bad thing. Here he was happy. Here his life wasn't in danger. Here he wasn't chasing after the members for the consortium. Here he was with her, happily with her. A woman who, by all accounts, deserved a little bit of happiness in her life. A woman who now slept with Mulder every night, shared his days with him, loved and supported him. A woman who did everything for him she had once done. Dana Scully felt torn. She loved him still, that she would never deny. Her son had the right to know him. But this, this would both complicate and screw up all of their lives. The blood work would come back and prove she was right, but then what? She walked into the waiting room and showed the secretary her badge. I called earlier and Dr. Blair said he was fine with my participation in some blood work. Uh, sure, she said, as she looked through some papers. Just then the door opened behind her and she saw him walk in. She had to stop herself from calling him Mulder. I need to get this done. We have dinner plans, he explained as he walked up beside her. Uh, sure, she said softly, as she looked at the secretary. The nurse? Go into room number two, and she'll be right in, the secretary explained. How are you doing, Leo? I'm good, he said, as he glanced around, anxious. Everything okay? She asked in a whisper. Yeah, just a mix-up, he explained with a smile, before he followed Agent Scully into the room. The nurse came in and quickly drew blood. Can we... can we do two vials? he asked. Two? Scully asked. One for you to test, and one I'm going to get tested, he said almost apologetically. Of, of course, she agreed. He didn't trust her. When the bandage was on, he stood up quickly from his seat. How long until I have my life back again? It'll only take a day, she explained. He nodded his head in acknowledgement. Well, I gotta, he said as he pointed over his shoulder. Yeah, yeah, go, she stammered. I'll call you and let you know the results. He started to walk away and then stopped and turned to look at her. 
You seem like a genuinely nice person, he began. I'm sorry, but those test results are going to prove that I'm not who you think I am. But I do hope you find him, because he obviously means a lot to you. With that, he walked out of the office, hoping that the little speech he had just given her would prove to be true. I found him, she whispered as she watched him go. She walked wearily into her hotel in Denver and noticed the familiar figure across the lobby. Walter Skinner paced at the edge of the gift shop. As soon as he saw her, he made a beeline for her, stopping in front of her and held her by the shoulders. I heard, he said, as he looked down at her. She stepped forward and buried herself in his embrace. She let loose all the tears that had been threatening to fall all day. How did you... she asked. You didn't sound right on the phone, he started. Then when I called the field office in Denver... They explained that Leo Gray had called them to check your credentials. I checked into him and saw Fox Mulder's face. He's in Denver. He's in Keystone, actually, she said as she wiped her nose. I want to hear everything, he said, as he started to guide her towards the elevator. I'm sorry I lied, she said softly. I just didn't know what... or how. He stopped their motion and looked down at her thoughtfully. I love you, Dana and we're going to figure this out. She closed her eyes and pressed a soft, reassuring kiss on his lips. I love you too. Dana, how are you doing with all of this? He asked as he placed a hand on her knee. She had just spent the better part of an hour telling Walter everything she knew about Leo and how he had reacted to her. He was trying to be understanding, but she could see the unanswered questions on his mind. Do you still love him? Do you want to be with him? Are you still in love with me? Is the wedding still on? I think I'm... I think I'm blocking a lot of this out until I find out for sure, she answered honestly. Until then, we don't know that he is Mulder. You know, he said with a nod of his head. If you say it's him, then I don't need blood work too. But he doesn't know anything about his past, she explained. I mentioned the X-Files and he didn't even bat an eyelash. You're contemplating not telling him everything, Walter realized. Maybe it's for the best, she sighed as she got up from her chair. But you don't honestly believe that, Walter said from his seat. You're thinking of not telling him about Will. I'm thinking that Will just complicates everything. That, until two days ago, things were very clear. Will loves you with all his heart. And I love him, Walter said as he stood and walked toward her. But. But nothing, she said, as she shook her head. But he'll resent you for keeping this from him, Walter said, as he placed his hands on her hips. Will or Mulder, she asked for clarification. Both, probably, Walter answered honestly. She thought about what he said for a minute and sighed. You look tired, he said softly. I haven't really slept since. Go to bed, he said, as he turned her towards the bed in the room. I'll make some calls and pull some information while you sleep. Thanks for coming, she mumbled as she pulled off her top. Once I heard, I... I couldn't let you go through this alone, Dana, he said, as he watched her quickly slide her pants down her legs. How do I begin? She asked, as she shucked off her bra and climbed into the bed in just her underwear. How do you tell a man about his whole life? Walter walked over to the bed and turned off the bedside lamp 
The room darkened suddenly. You tell him one day at a time, he said softly, as he patted her hair. Get some sleep. She closed her eyes, and he watched her for a few minutes before he walked away. He sat in the darkened room in a chair, staring at her small sleeping form in the bed. He may have just lost everything that meant anything to him with the appearance of Leo Gray. Leo walked around his house, shutting off all the lights before bed. Can you bring me a glass of water? Amy called from the bedroom. Yep, he called back as he walked into the kitchen and grabbed a glass. His mind wandered to the female FBI agent. She was a nice enough woman, but there were secrets behind her eyes that scared him. A woman with that kind of job must know a lot of things that no one else wanted to know. Where the pedophiles lived in every neighborhood, the names of people living in small towns that were in witness protection, the horror of gangland violence. He was grateful that Amy worked a nice quiet job as a bookkeeper in a small town. She came home happy and light every night after work. Her job had certain benefits like access to all of the resort's equipment, classes, and treatments. She took yoga classes every morning before work with the guests, and had a weekly appointment at the spa for a manicure and pedicure. She was in great shape and always looked polished. He remembered back to the first time he saw her. He was visiting the general manager of Tillings to discuss a plan the resort had to install wind turbines on the property to promote their green operation. Leo was there to tell him that the turbines in that location would not generate any power for them. The manager was running late, and Leo was greeted by Amy. She was soft-spoken and had kind eyes, and he immediately took to her. She apologized for the manager's lateness and offered to get him a coffee while he waited. Uncharacteristically, he said he'd have a coffee if she'd join him in the restaurant. She did. They talked about everything from wind turbines to travel and the economy for over two hours. He found her to be charming, well-versed, and very sexy. He asked her out on a proper date, which she agreed to, and left the resort forgetting about his appointment with the GM. One month later, he bought his house. One month after that, he convinced her to move in with him. They had been living together, quite happily, ever since. He was in love with someone unreservedly for the first time in his life. When he was a kid, he always felt unworthy of girls' affections, and thus was usually taken advantage of and dumped. As an adult, he had been relentless in his pursuit of women, and bedded many, but loved none. He vowed when he got to Keystone he was going to change his ways. He had. He had casually mentioned marriage to Amy four years ago, and she said she loved him and didn't need anything more than they had together. Children weren't an option with them because of an emergency hysterectomy that was performed on her when she lost her baby. He had wanted to mention adoption several times, but thought that the mere reference to his desire to have children would hurt her immeasurably. So he kept quiet and buried that dream in exchange for the satisfaction that she brought to his life. Leo? she called from the bedroom. Coming, he said, as he shut off the water and turned to walk with the glass towards their bedroom. He was one lucky man, any way you sliced it. Dana Scully woke with a start and found herself looking around the darkened room for Walter. Her eyes spotted him slumped in a chair in the corner. The laptop glowing on his lap revealed his state of sleep. She smiled absently to herself and threw the covers off the bed. 
She walked half-naked towards his sleeping form and slowly lifted the warm laptop off his lap. She looked at the screen and saw that he had sent an email to someone in Australia inquiring about Leo. She looked down at his soft face and his disheveled glasses. He was handsome, even in this state. He had come out here to Denver to help her because he loved her, but also because he was scared about what might happen if she had found Mulder. Mulder had been the elephant in the room ever since they had become romantically involved. Walter had been her friend, and Will's surrogate father for almost five years before things began to change between them. It started with exchanged glances over dinner, at the park, or at home. She could tell that he had been interested in her for quite some time, but she always ignored that aspect of their relationship until one day at an ice cream shop. They had taken Will to see a Bowie Bay Sox game for his fifth birthday. He had loved the game for the first three innings, and then grew quickly bored of sitting in a seat and being unable to run around. They had taken Will to see a Bowie Bay Sox game for his fifth birthday. He had loved the game for the first three innings, and then grew quickly bored of sitting in a seat and being unable to run around. They had left early, and on the way back to Walter's car, Will had spotted an ice cream shop and begged to go inside. When the man behind the counter asked Will to hand some change to his dad, Will had not batted an eyelash as he passed change to Walter. Both she and Walter exchanged worried glances as Will continued to lick his ice cream unaware. Then, as they sat at the table and talked about the game, a man sitting behind them asked Scully if she could go into the washroom and check on his daughter. As she got up from her seat, the man apologized to Walter for borrowing his wife. Walter just nodded his head and turned red. Later that night, she had done something uncharacteristic and brazen. She had kissed Walter on the lips when he went to leave after Will had gone to bed. He was too shocked to return the kiss, and she backed down and started to apologize. But before she could get through half a sentence, he had pulled her against him and passionately kissed her on the lips. They had kissed for quite a while as she leaned up against a wall in her front hallway and eventually broke apart panting. The sexual tension between them that she had been ignoring for years couldn't be overlooked anymore. That weekend, Will stayed at her mother's and Walter stayed with her. They hadn't looked back since. Will had grown used to Walter's presence around their home and didn't even do a double-take when one night he had had a nightmare and, when he crawled into his mother's bed, Walter was there as well. Walter hadn't ever stayed over while Will was there, but that night they had drank a lot of wine and fallen asleep after some careless lovemaking. After they got over the initial shock, Will settled into his mother's arms and promptly fell asleep. From then on, they didn't worry about when Walter stayed over anymore. She lifted his glasses carefully off his face, and he shifted in his seat and groaned. He had to be worried about what Mulder's presence would do to the future they had carefully planned together. He had to be wondering if the love she had for Mulder would push out the love she had for him. In that moment, Dana Scully knew she had to allay any fears he had. She leaned over his sleeping form and carefully kissed her way down his jawline. He stirred slightly and she saw his eyes open and adjust to her close proximity. Dana? He murmured. What are you doing up? 
I saw you pitifully slumped over here and thought I'd better get you into bed before your back is screwed up, she said, as she kissed the underside of his jaw. He rubbed his eyes. What time is it? Too late to care and too early to wonder, she said softly as she undid the buttons on his shirt. What, what are you doing? He asked as he held her hands and stilled them from their purpose. I'm trying to seduce you, she smirked up at him, but you're not helping me much. Dana, I don't think that, given what you've just found out, you must be feeling... I love you, she said as she looked into his eyes. Nothing about that has changed for me. You need to know that. But you love him too, he said with an inquisitive look. She lowered her head and thought for a moment. I love who he was, she said thoughtfully. He swallowed hard, her revelation hitting him like no other before. She acknowledged that Mulder was different, that what they had was real and true. But Walt, you and I, we have something real here. I don't know what's going to happen with Mulder, but I know he's never going to be the man I once loved. I don't know what he'll be in my life, but... He leaned forward and kissed her squarely on the lips. She returned the kiss and felt his hands move up towards her bare breasts. He massaged them and pulled at her nipples as she undid the rest of the buttons on his shirt and tucked it off his body. He leaned forward in his seat and took his hands from her breasts to pull down her panties. They stood together and he guided her beautiful naked body towards the bed on the other side of the room as she threw his belt on the floor and undid his dress pants. She pushed the pants and his underwear down his frame and felt his hard cock bob up against her. His large hands groped at her ass, and his mouth worked hers. He slowly guided her down onto the bed and climbed above her, pushing himself inside her as he did. She gasped below him and grabbed onto his strong shoulders as he thrust himself into her time and time again. She pulled her legs up on his frame and planted her left foot on his pectoral muscle and pushed herself more forcefully against him. Waves of pleasure washed over her body as her vagina spasmed around him and he emptied himself into her. Oh, God, she sighed as she slowly lowered her foot back onto the bed at his side. I missed you, he panted as he leaned down to kiss her on the lips. I've missed you, too she said softly, as she touched the side of his face with the palm of her hand. He shifted off her and fell down onto the bed beside her, panting. He pulled her against his naked form and held her tight. They both fell asleep, snuggled together, hoping things wouldn't change in the morning. And? she asked, as she rubbed the bridge of her nose. Walter watched her curl around the phone, her naked body hunched. And you'll email them? Okay. Thank you. She hung up the phone and tucked a strand of hair behind her ear before turning to face him lying next to her in bed. Her watery eyes when she looked at him revealed everything. So it's him? Walter asked as he looked at her. She nodded her head. He sighed. So what do you want to do next? I'll show him the results and then go from there, she said as she breathed deeply. He's not going to believe you, he said, as he looked around for his glasses.
Spotting them across the room, he got up and marched naked to the table that they sat on. He's going to need more than that to convince him. Which is why I'm calling my mother and getting her to FedEx something out here that should convince him he's Fox Mulder, Scully said, as her gaze drifted out the hotel room window. What? Walter asked, as he walked back toward the bed and sat on the edge next to her. A tape, she said softly. I have a tape of us, one that he made when he was testing out some new equipment a few weeks before he was abducted. That kind of tape? Walter asked, as he turned a slight pink color. No, she laughed at his insinuation and grabbed his bare thigh. Just a tape of him asking me questions so he could get the mic right and the angle right. And how will this convince him? For the last few minutes, I turned the tables on him and videotaped him while I interviewed him. And you've had this tape all these years? He asked, interested. I was keeping it for Will. She sighed and looked away. So he would know Mulder? So he would know us, she clarified. I wanted him to know what we were like, but not until he was older. You think it would upset him? Walter asked as he played with the bedsheet. No, there's some mature subject matter, she said as she turned red. Oh, Skinner realized. He needs to see the file on his disappearance, the DNA testing, and the video. He'll know then, she said self-assuredly. You said he wanted to run his own tests. Walter remembered. Yeah, he asked some girl at the local clinic to run one for him as well. He didn't trust me. I'm not sure what their turnaround time is. Go grab a shower and then you can figure everything out, he said, as he ran a finger up her calf. Thank you for last night, by the way. We're okay, right? she asked. Yeah, we're okay, he smiled at her. She rose naked from the bed and walked toward the washroom. He watched her ass swing and thanked his lucky stars she was still in love with him. She shut the bathroom door softly and started the shower. Once she got inside, she allowed herself to cry. Walt wouldn't hear her. She didn't want to hurt him. The last thing she wanted to do was hurt anyone. If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there.